Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Chris Reed, CEO of Neometals, and also the general manager, Jeremy McManus. They've just announced today their JV with an SMS group in Germany. They're the uh, German multi-billion dollar conglomerate with connections uh, into the European ecosystem over there for their battery recycling project. Now, this is a sort of proprietary technology, hydrometallurgical, um, and they talked to us today about you know how that deal has come about, the kind of moving parts, have they got enough money for this, what's the size of that ecosystem, and how they hope to capture as a first mover uh, the you know a large portion of that. We also look at the green component, especially off the back of last week's comment by Elon Musk at Tesla that they're looking for you know, green, clean, efficient uh, capture of nickel from the miners. This project kind of mirrors it, but at the other end of the food chain in the sense that they hope to have a green, clean capture of nickel from battery recycling in a more carbon efficient way. So enjoy the podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? How are you, Chris? How are you, Jeremy? Very well, thank you, Matt. Good, thanks, Matt. Well, uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. I know it's uh, sort, of, uh, sort of late your time, so um, we'll get straight into it. We've seen the press release came out this morning. Um, it looks like pretty good news. You've, you've actually managed to get this JV together and created a company called Primobius. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Maybe start at the beginning for people new to this story, and then we'll, I'll pick it up there and get into the weeds with you in a second. Yeah, sure, Matt. Uh, New Metals is an ASX-listed project developer. Um, Historically, we developed the Mount Marion Lithium Project, which is one of the world's largest sources of lithium. Immediately in 2005, after we started construction, uh, we started looking at where in the supply chain we should be next. And all roads leaded to recycling. Um, you know, these batteries are a mix of, you know, lithium that's been mined in Australia up to China, into Europe, cobalt that's been mined in the DRC into China, into Europe or into Asia, into the US. Um, you know, we've gone to such great lengths to combine all these materials in the battery. Surely at the end of life, you know, there is significant value to be had uh, by processing these and recovering the battery materials as opposed to, to keep mining primary sources of ore that have got a massive carbon footprint. So, you know, over the last three or four years, we've been developing a process. Uh, we've been scaling that up from, from bench scale work in Australia through continuous uh, lab scale into a pilot plant that we ran at SGS in Canada in 2019. Uh, we finished that early uh, in 2020. Uh, we executed a MOU with a, a very large German engineering group, SMS group uh, last year they've done extensive due diligence we've finished the pilot plant and today is really the culmination of about nine months of work uh, to to incorporate what will be a 50 50 joint venture to develop initially what will be europe's largest battery recycling business okay Th thanks for that can we just talk about some of the moving parts first but before we kind of get into the uh detail around the 
deal itself. So SMS Group, I mean, who are they? You, you say they're a kind of big German group, but what are... Yeah, so, so SMS, um, they've been around for almost 140 years, privately owned, more than 14,000 employees in 95 sites around the world. They are one of the largest builders of processing plants in the world, based in Germany, uh, which for us outside of China, is the is the largest lithium battery production hub and emerging you know um so a natural target um you know they are what what we would say is a, a high capability partner in terms of delivering what have been successful r d outcomes from from neometals and uh you know they are imminently equipped to to build uh, and operate these plants on, on behalf of the joint venture. Uh, they are one of the largest generators of German-backed import-export financings. Uh, so they've been around a long time, you know, more than 3 billion euro sales last year. And I had a look in the annual report, they've got almost a billion euro cash. So, you know, they are a very, very strong, capable group. And, you know, uh, they bring a lot to the transaction. They, they do. And so nice to talk about one of the other variables, which, which is the market for this. I'm, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to do is work out the scale of the opportunity here and be able to get a, a sense of the quantum that you're going to be able to capture. So SGS, they're, they're German. I guess that's why you've focused on the, the European uh, ecosystem, because um, I know you've got this battery metal thematic going throughout the, the company, throughout Neometals. But um, what is it that you have been doing with them over the last nine months, you know, to get them through to this stage? Can you tell us, like, what, what's the diligence process? What, what's the problem you're trying to solve? So essentially, uh, you know, you've got these batteries at the end of life and, you know, they, they have a lot of base metals in them. They have lithium in them. It's, it's hard to store them safely and they've got, uh, you know, very much uh, high value in, in terms of the in-situ metal in those batteries. So, you know, we've had to develop a process that can deactivate those batteries. You know, we shred them, uh, make them safe to downstream process. And then we developed a downstream process to recover the cathode chemicals that can be reinserted back into the supply chain. And, and you know, you hear about, you know, Elon's come out and said, you know, we need, we need nickel, the nickel producers to produce more nickel sulfate. Okay, well, they do need more nickel sulfate, but, you know, the nickel's going into these batteries, you can capture it out the back end and you don't need to have big mines that make concentrates and then they get shipped to refineries around the world and then they get made into metal and then they get dissolved into sulfuric acid and make sulfates and then go to cathode manufacturers we can actually regenerate exactly what needs to go back into uh, the supply chain at a fraction of the carbon footprint of virgin mine materials and so you know my offer to to elon would be like Mate, we will we will recycle all of Tesla's batteries forever for free, and uh, if you want to find me up, hit me up, and we can. Uh, I'll even let you share in some of the profits. <laughs> That's a big offer, a big offer. I hope he's listening. You never know. That's fine. Yeah, you never know. Hey, okay, so that's interesting. So you're saying that it's obviously you've got a much greener solution for providing nickel into back into the the, the battery cycle. Um, but give me 
part of what I wanted to understand was the size of this market. What is what's the the total potential size of this? What's the bit you're going to capture, and how do you do that? Yeah, sure. So you know our our initial deployment. So we we own a, a twenty thousand ton commercial scale shredding plant, so a comminution circuit. So you've got to make it safe to process. Then you have to separate out the plastics, the steel, the aluminium and copper foils. And then you're left with a, a black powder or what we call a black mass. We then leach that and recover um, the cathode chemicals. So that's, that's essentially the process um, in, in a nutshell. Um, and, that, and that addresses pretty much what what the what the market needs it needs to to process them safely and it needs to close the loop and so i think you know if if we have a look at perhaps the timing of the deal and you go back to you know what have you done in the last nine months so what we've done is is we've we've shown them the the scoping study the results we've then walked them through and they've been able to witness the pilot plant we've wound that up they've, they've seen the the recoveries we get They've seen the purities that we can make. You know, we've got the full MET test work report, the mass energy balance, and it goes into the engineering studies and the guys are comfortable. And, and the opportunity in terms of the size of the market. So they've deduced that we've got a process. It's technically feasible. What they've told us so far, it's economically viable. But when you overlay that, what is the opportunity into Europe? You know, the, the investments in the EV sector in Europe have outweighed what has been invested in China for the last three years. The Chinese were there, they're bigger, but they were there earlier. Europe has been where the, the, the factories have been committed to. And so, you know, what you found, even from the start of the year to where we see now, it's gone up to 415 gigawatt hours. It's now over 500 gigawatt hours. And when you translate that into batteries that will hit the market, and then how many batteries will come after their use for life, you know, somewhere between seven to 10 years, you're looking at a multi-million ton potential feed. And so initially we're gonna roll out our 20,000 ton plant and that's designed really to take the production scrap from a gigafactory, not necessarily Tesla's, but LG or any other, or indeed dealing with a car maker who gets their batteries from different, different sources, but initially designed to take production scrap and then we would scale that up for the end of life application. So, you know, it's a, it's a big market. And if you multiply a couple of million tons by the in-situ value, um, you, you know, you're well into the double digit billions in terms of, of the market. And, and hence why for us, some might look at the, the transaction and say, well, you know, look, you know, you're giving half away. And, and then I would say, well, you know, are you, or are you, you know, you've proved the technology, it's cost you X to this point, and you've got to make it a reality for your shareholders and turn it into cash. So what is the most efficient, timeliest outcome here, which is to get someone who is perfectly capable of delivering on time and scaling up to whatever the market needs. I mean, SMS aren't in there to build a little dinky 20,000 ton plant. They are there to build multiple 200,000 ton or larger plants. That's the game. So, you know, quality product meets all the regulatory requirements, meets the needs of the market. I mean, this is a step away. And, and you look, you know, minerals and materials for a sustainable future. 
that way. Uh, and so, you know, we are giving the materials for a sustainable future in a sustainable process. It's a step away from mining, but it's lower risk than mining. Um, and so what we've done is, you know, we've, we've partnered with someone who can actually make our 50% worth multiples more than what we could do. Now we could deploy this in Australia, but Australia won't be big enough for five to 10 years. Europe is big enough now. We can see with confidence the money that's being committed. You know, last month you had the German government commit 135 billion euro to the health of the EV car makers. So all of a sudden there's 6,000 euro cash subsidy to go with the 3,000 from the producer. That's the carrot. Uh, and then they're going to invest 65 billion invest investing or installing 77,000 high voltage charges in 14,000 uh, service stations in Germany. That's 135 billion euro. That is more than my country has committed to the COVID relief for the whole country. And so this is Germany just for the EV car makers. And, and you've got the French who have committed 12,000 euros for every domestic. And then you've got penalties if your fleet produces more than 95 grams of CO2 per kilometre. So, you know, you've got the carrot, you know, and the whip just driving this, this transition to decarbonised transport and, and circular economies. And so, you know, we started out three or four years ago we thought this will grow into a good business and and we get into these businesses early you know we were first into lithium we were first out of lithium production you know we're one of the first into to large-scale recycling and but you know what has surprised us has been the confluence of all this regulatory and esg and circular economy and just these massive tailwinds and these volumes just they keep coming at us okay well look Okay, nice summary, first of all. Um, so I, I get it. So Europe is the right place to be and you've got the right partner in SMS because they've got, they got the capital uh, and connections. Um, I understand that. You talked at the beginning um, about you have developed. Is this... I'm trying to then understand, well, what are, what are the barriers to entry for people coming in to try and you know, capture some of this? Because I, I, And also because I understand the first mover advantage that you've got, but... You've got, have you got proprietary technology? Have you got intellectual property? I mean, what's to stop other people coming in and talking the same game? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we have developed our, our own flow sheet. Uh, we have uh, EU and Australian provisional patents pending. You know, we've done the normal freedom to operate searches. And so I, I guess anyone that tries to, that tries to follow us will, will be getting a nasty letter from, the employ, uh, from our lawyers. But... You know, and probably the employees. Um, so, you know, I, I think we've learned a lot over the last couple of years. I mean, it's called research and development for a reason. If you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't call it research and development. So I think equally as we've found a process, we've found not what to do as well. So I think, um, you know, you've got to be careful with these batteries. You know, I, I remember early on, my chief operating officer gave me a book on lithium batteries called Can Lightning. And, uh, you know, if you don't shred them the right way, I, I think we can, we've all seen from the press, you know, what, what can happen.
Yeah. So, you know, safety primarily uh, and then recovery of value and, uh, and with an eco-friendly footprint. I mean, they would be, that'd be pretty much the three sort of drivers that, um, that mm -hmm. I would uh, espouse that our process has. Okay, so, so, so let me, I mean, talking about, you know, Elon Musk's statement last week about nickel, you know, he, he wanted green, efficient production of nickel. And I think some of the nickel companies, especially the sulfide guys, reacted quite positively um, to that. You're at the other end of the scale, but nevertheless, as important, it, it seems, it seems to be the story you're, you're saying, that you're nevertheless important in terms of the total carbon footprint associated with car manufacturers, um, you know, products being the, being the car. Um, so are you, are you trying to, with your technology, can you claim to be the greenest battery? Because there are battery recycling companies out there. You know, you're not the only battery recycling company out there, but are you saying you're the cleanest or you're, you've got scale? I mean, what, what's your USP? Look, I think if you if you have a look, and and people say recycling, and it, and it and it covers a lot of business models. You know, in Australia, uh, people say, "Well, I'm battery recycling," and, and really what they're doing is taking the batteries, they're deactivating them, they're shredding them, and they're separating out casings, foils, plastic, and the black mass, and the black mass is going offshore. Uh, and then you can go to Europe with, with, with some of our competitors who are using traditional pyro metallurgy routes. So they would take either the battery or the black mass and, and basically melt it. So, you know, you would incinerate the graphite, which, which is about 50% of the mass. The plastics, the electrolyte, hydrocarbon that's bearing the lithium. And, and so instantaneously you're below 50% recoveries, whereas you know, the EU battery directives heading towards higher than 85% recovery, which is where our process is now. We're hoping it to get well into the 90s. Um, and, and so, you know, our, our process has higher recoveries. And I think if you have a look at, you know, where Elon said, you know, more efficient and, and even if you go to, to Rob Friedland's comments last week about his high grade copper in the Congo, which will also need to go on the batteries, he's got a 10% grade. It, it, you have to, and if you compare that to a 1% grade, say in a big bulk uh, Chilean operation, you have to mine 10 times less ore that has a lower footprint. And then when you put that in your processing plant, you have to process 10 times less ore to get a ton of copper. I mean, it, it's just arithmetic. So it then follows, if, I'm in a, if I've got a battery, the battery has the highest purity metal oxides or metal sulfates that get converted to metal oxides that you can get. So the metals that are in there were high purity. And so we're recovering. I mean, if I have a look at a, an Apple battery, by weight, it's 20% cobalt, right? I mean, it's got incredible value, six, 7,000 US a tonne, a couple of ancillary stuff. I mean, that that's incredible. That's, you know, if you had a look on a gold basis, that's three ounces per tonne, right? There's fat in it. But our process is, is not the cheapest. The cheapest would be just burning them, but it's at the, uh, you, they didn't have to factor the losses in. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're confident that, you know, we, we have a, a, 
almost a future-proof process. Uh, and and you know we've you know it's a technology, so we have to we have to look at what the market wants in the future. They need to they'll need to you know get down to net zero carbon. And if you have a look at okay, so you buy an internal combustion engine or a, an in, a car, a normal car with an internal combustion engine, it has a lower carbon footprint from the EV. What's different in the car? One's got a battery. Ergo, the, the difference is in the battery. And the battery, it's mainly materials. Otherwise, it's electricity and robots and a bit of labor. So it's in the materials where the carbon is. And so if you can recover that, recycle, recover, produce a secondary material, you massively reduce the carbon footprint. And so then all of a sudden the, the, the EV is not as far behind the internal combustion car. And so, you know, you, you actually can get to what the car makers want. Okay. With, okay. That, that's good for me because we've talked about some of the variables, some of the which I needed to understand. You know, the macro component, what it is that you're working towards, what technology you've got, uh, and what you you think you're going to be able to capture. Can we just talk about the deal then? Okay, so SMS, big company. Um, one, why on earth would they team up with a small Australian company? And two, maybe, you know, once you've explained that, talks about, well, how has the deal been broken down? Who gets what? Who provides what? What, what, what are both sides bringing to the table? At a high level, Matt, the way the deal works is we've worked for years on, on the technology and it's patent pending. And so there's a, there's a chemistry flow sheet there, which, you know, we've covered it for a long time. So we bring that into the equation and what SMS bring to the table you know, again, this is at a high level, but they bring the ability to help us design, build, operate, and maintain that very complex plant. And that's one of the key reasons why we're keen to partner with them, because ultimately, if you want to appeal to the world's biggest OEMs, they need some confidence that you can get this done. So having a neat technology is great, but actually having the ability to deliver, and there's lots of USPs associated with our technology but I you know I think really the the thing that's most interesting about it is actually the business case itself and having SMS on board is probably one of the biggest ticks because it, it means this is a chance of actually happening um, so in terms of you know how else does this deal look we're looking to share the costs as we evaluate um, through building a demonstration facility in in the heart of Germany that allows you know potential partners and others to touch and feel and, and look at this showcase, see what comes out the back end and evaluate products. Um, we'll do a feasibility study in parallel with all of that. We will get a, a stronger grip than we already have on the economics. Um, you know, and ultimately we'll make a decision to roll this out commercially and Europe looks like an interesting place to start doing this but of course we need to attract the people with the feed which we're busy doing already and also the people who are going to buy and take you know in a binding offtake sense for us to make a decision to go ahead and build commercial plants. Okay so but talk to me about so what does the deal construct look like and, and, and you know are you happy with the terms or are you the smaller partner in all of this? Yeah, it, well, it took a very long time to get to this place, as you would expect with a German company. The diligence was really, really thorough. 
I think most people would see that as a very good thing because no stone has been left unturned with our partners. Um, but yeah, we're exceptionally happy with with the deal. Um, it was negotiated very hard, but I think it, it's certainly fair to both parties and, and we see both parties bringing a lot to the table. SMS can't do this without us. We have to transfer technology. You know, we have all the insights thus far, but we really do need a presence in Europe. The networks which pull up with very big OEMs um, and even just having a permitted site to demonstrate this, you know, a, a lot of this is probably lost on people who don't live and breathe it, but that's hard to do and, and super time consuming in the middle of COVID. So there's a fair bit to all of that, that sort of scream to us that we need to go ahead with this deal. But but what, but so give me give me the give me the terms of the deal. What's it going to cost you? What are, what are your liabilities till you get to a point where there's an FID on whether to move forward or not? You know, have you got the money? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. I, I can jump in here. So look, we're very well funded. So we've got uh, about eighty-five million dollars in cash and listed investments, no debt. Uh, that's Aussie dollars. So you know, sort of fifty million euro. Uh, in terms of the funding requirement for both SMS and Neo Metals through to the FID, the approved budget is €4 million. Euros. Um, in terms of, you know, moving into our first deployment uh, into, into Europe, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the terms of the deal was that SMS uses its best endeavours to procure its, its German government-backed finance. Um, and so, you know, in, in terms of funding our equity contribution, we're completely unable, able to do that off our own balance sheet with no dilution. Okay. So it, it, there's a seamless uh, path in terms of activities, uh, both technical and, and economic and commercial. Uh, and in terms of financing, you know, look, we, we, we could finance our entire contribution without debt still off our own balance sheet. So, you know, we, we, have, we have good flexibility there. So, you know, it's, a, it's roughly an 18 month funding requirement and, and our chip in is, is, is 2 million euro. Obviously all of our staff uh, labor time the joint venture will uh, will acquire our twenty our full commercial scale shredding or comminution circuit, uh, and so you know in terms of when we make a decision to to uh, commercialise, we can actually start up shredding and beneficiation well ahead of building a matching hydromet plant. Okay, so, so I, I want, let me let me be clear, Chris, because I want I want to because we've had questions sent in and stuff. I want to be really clear. You are a project developer company, okay? Your model is to kind of fund those through to some kind of FID, um, and but the company at that point, whether they be JVs or otherwise, will need to stand on their own two feet. You know, these are commercial uh, operations which you've got with partners. It seems to be your model. You, you develop a flow yeah. sheet. You bring in a big partner, um, and then you make a decision whether to, to advance the project or not jointly, right? But at that point, you go to market looking for debt or equity for that entity, and that does not affect the balance sheet or the ability of Neo Metals to continue with this current model. Well, we've got we've got total flexibility. Obviously, this project is the closest to cash flow for Neo Metals as a combined entity, so it's it's more likely to stay in the group in terms of we would love uh, a cash flow generating asset. We sold our last cash flow generating asset last year, but banked a lot of cash. 
and front ended that, you know. Um, and 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 I think you know the performance of the lithium chemical prices, the the spodumene price is probably a third of what it was when we sold. So that sort of vindicated that decision to sell early. Um, and then what we've done with our you know extensive cash resources is we've continued to share that. We've had five annual dividends back to the shareholders. We've we've returned more than fifty five million dollars uh, in dividends and and capital returns. Uh, we're cognizant of the importance of capital, particularly as you're going into something like, like COVID-19. Now, they are individually set up to, to be self-financing and non-dilutive, uh, if we so choose, or we can embrace it. And certainly the lithium battery recycling, we would embrace that as our, our first cash flow assets. Uh, in terms of the other projects, they all have strong partners. They are all co-funded through the final stages of evaluation into, into FIDs. And we have complete flexibility whether they move in or out of the group. We can give them back to the shareholders via an in-specie distribution. We can separately list them, raise capital, raise debt. Uh, I, I think, you know, um, having such a strong balance sheet and no debt and a pipeline of projects that you're getting to FIDs at, you know, end of 21, 22, 23, 24, there is a pipeline of projects. I mean, obviously we can't fund all of them off the balance sheet, uh, but you know, the highest return with the lowest uh, capital investment is is gonna get the first nod. Okay, okay. So and again, sorry to dig down on this one, but again, we've just had so much uh, feedback from the market. You, are, you have been dishing out dividends, right? You did one recently, yep. big distribution, right? Your shareholders are, probably happy you would expect but some of them come back and said are these guys cognizant of the fact that we perhaps would rather have the security of knowing that the next project is going to get done than have dividends i mean that's that's a big big group of people out of the the shareholders going you know keep your money chris i want you to get this deal over the line so what are the discussions at board level around you know how how you manage the capital it, it, it goes got? through a very comprehensive process uh very highly experienced board and uh we are very cognizant uh of of you know what dilution costs to get projects we are also aware of our weighted co average cost of capital we are also aware that if you do not have an immediate need, if, if you're getting up to it and you know you're gonna make the FID, it's different, but you know, we these projects are advanced, but they're still in the final stages. So you, you have to have an equal balance. It is the shareholders cash. If I have not got a plan to deploy all of it, and, I, and, and we've given that over a five-year period. So clearly we haven't had the investments on the, that have needed to be made. And we have taken the decision to return that cash to its rightful owners, which is the shareholders, unless you've got a better use. Okay. Right? Like if I can't earn my weighted average cost of capital, or if I think my cost of dilution for an event coming up, then I shouldn't pay it out. But we do go through a very detailed process. Okay. Do you think that this whole ESG movement is getting more traction? Now, I know you've been at it two, three years. You, you, you guys spotted it two, three years ago and segued the business over, right? So, great. Was there any point at which you go, crikey, I'm not sure people are going to pick up on this, this thematic, other than just a sort of a nod to 
doing things the right way? I think we probably, it, it's probably just just caught up. I think, you know, look, my family's been involved in the mining industry for more than 100 years. So, and look, we have developed precious metal mines. We've done industrial metals mines. We've explored for base metals. Um, you know, the thematic in there. So, you know, for us, the thematic of minerals and materials for a sustainable future then defines the commodities that you should target. And then you have a look at, okay, well, if I was going to get this out of minerals, what are the, what, what, what are the, the trends? And so if I have a look at, at just general minerals projects around the world, the grades are getting lower and they're getting deeper. Ergo, the mining costs per unit of output are going up. And unless you can work out a way to actually change the physical location of your ore body, enrich it and make it closer to the surface, that trend is immutable. So for us, we thought, well, the only way is really that we can level the playing field is to try to innovate on the processing side. And, and, and hence, um, you know, we, we had a look at recycling and then we've had a look at vanadium recovery uh, through some, and, and from a background, our background has been in minerals. We were in lithium minerals, lithium chemicals, and this is just the next progression. It is producing these chemicals, but without the mine. Uh, and so it's lower risk, lower time, lower uncertainty. Uh, and hence, you know, I mean, we know what's in the batteries when we process them. With perhaps a vanadium recovery project, we know what the vanadium grade is in the slag, it's the exceptional grade. And, and in, if you do your studies right, and we are diligent in our studies, you really, if you've got the grades, the feed grades right, you shouldn't have massive fluctuations in your operating costs. Where a lot of these projects go wrong is in the mining. You know, everyone wants them a certain size and you've got to do your evaluation studies in a certain period of time. And we cut corners and the results vary a long way away from these feasibility studies. But essentially they rush the front bit and, and we, don't run the, we don't rush the front bit. We want to get it right and we want to get it right and we want to bring in big partners. We want to get the highest return on capital in the shortest period of time. The board and management are the biggest shareholders in the company and we want to make our money and share it with our shareholders. Okay, so tell me this. That's what, At some that, point, that's what we do. Okay, I, I buy that. At some point, you're going to need to raise some capital. So it's all well and good, Tesla saying, give, sure. me, give me green, efficient, what it named the commodity, right? Battery commodity, um, lithium, nickel, whatever. Um, and it's all well and good, you know, your conversations with automa automotive manufacturers saying, we, we need to address our carbon footprint. But when it comes down to raising the money, do you think that the funds care? Are they, are they going to give you extra attention because you've kind of got a greener solution? Do you think you're going to be able to raise the capital based on the economics you're going to be able to achieve? Well, whether or not they're green or not, none of these green funds like losing money, and neither do we. So, you know, we, you'll find in the discount rates we use, I think, you know, for, for the battery recycling, we use a 12% discount rate. I mean, we are here to get these projects built. We're not trying to coddle them to get some outcome in a market. Uh, if we need to go and raise the money, we will. We've never had, and we have raised equity and debt, you know, 
probably in the order of 180 to 200 million bucks over the life of the company over various projects and and, and always paid our debt back i mean uh, i think you know if if you do what you say with you're going to do what you say you were going to do with the money uh and you're open and transparent i can't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to i mean we haven't done it for a while we haven't raised money for seven or eight years but that's not to say that, you know, I, I mean, that's good. I would have thought. Well, it, it, it is good, but that's what I mean. At some point, you're going to need to go to market, presumably and we're not, and, in and, Oz and or we're over We're not scared of that. I mean, if you have a look at the portfolio, our shareholders have four projects. Now, if I give it back to them in an in-species distribution and say, you have this, you can either put more money in it. If you don't want to put more money in it, we have to bring in new money and some debt you still own the same amount as if I kept it in the head company and did the same thing, right? But you don't want to dilute four projects. So, you know, you want to keep your best projects, right? And the ones that have the tightest strategic focus. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong. I mean, just because we've, we've, we've got a, a big portfolio, I can return those back to the shareholders. We could do spin outs. You could, you could do any number of, uh, of corporate finance moves on it. Okay, so at what point? I know you said you're going to be doing a feasibility study for this for this project going forward, and you get a better sense of the economics yep. and costs and so forth, uh, efficiencies. Um, what's the what's the timing of, of all of that? Because if I look at your business as a whole, I think people go certainly feedback we get. These are smart guys. They're good operators. They're efficient operators, and they're straight talking. What they're what they're trying to do is get a line of sight and go well like. How do I start to quantify or value or evaluate these these four projects coming down the line? I know 21, 22, 23, 24, it's great, but what do they equate to? Are you going to be able to start giving us and sharing with us that those sorts of numbers going forward? If so, yeah, when? absolutely. I mean, this is, I mean, we have four advanced projects. They are in feasibility and then moving into feed. So you know, these, these studies take 12 or 18 months and then they just land. So they're designed to, to land as we need them to, but you know, you've essentially, will have feasibility studies landing and then moving into feeds for some of the projects, but you will have them landing sequentially. So, you know, we go through a dis discipline process of scoping, pre-feasibility, feasibility, and then front-end engineering and design. We don't cut corners. I know you don't. So yeah, we, we, the we, will, we will be able we will be able to put metrics into the market, and and if I'm spending the shareholders' money, I need to tell them why. I need to tell them what the risks and rewards are, and they need to know that because they need to know whether. And I I might put it in another company, and I might ask them to put more money in, uh, and they have a choice whether to or not. But they need to understand the risks and the rewards. So we go you know to, to some length to, to share that with them okay so when, when can we expect you to start adding a bit more color to you know these sequence of projects oh so look you know uh, we can we could certainly provide a, a consolidated um, timeline for the various projects to you I mean there's over a long period on a quarterly basis there's, there's quite a lot of events uh, but you know, you for the for the battery recycling, you, you'll have a class four, class three, 
study. Now, what we might do is when I said we will share the risks and rewards, you know, we, we'll tell you what the operating and capital costs are. We might not tell you exactly what the financial model looks like uh, because, you know, there, there often there's some commercial inconfidence elements about that. It's not like if you've got a mine. If you've got a mine and you open the mine, you can be completely transparent about everything, right? Because no one's going to come in and take it off your hands. But this is a technology where I've got to go in and I've got to compete. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to tell the, the wider market anything that might prejudice the actual success of the business. So, you know, I think people will have to just bear with us then. But to suffice, suffice to say, we have put out a scoping study that's got uh, enough data in there where you can work out a financial model, you can work out the, the operating costs, we've given you the capital costs, we've given the assumptions on the battery mix, the pricing assumptions, and, you know, a, an educated analyst could come up with a, with a, with a number that's probably 5% with, with what our management model looks like in terms of what the pilot plant told us, we surpassed our expectations. So you can have a look at the scoping study and, and hold those going forward with some confidence. No, I, look, I, uh, I understand that. I understand that. And, and it's like, you've got to also understand that why I've got to ask, because, you know, as a kind of retail family office investor, you know, we, we yeah. need to get a sense of those numbers. Look, my, my comfort sure. comes from someone like SGS, you know, multi-billion dollar operation, doesn't go and do a deal, the small Aussie company, if it doesn't think it's going to make a lot of money. Okay, so I, I get that. And I also get that there's enough data around to be able to create some kind of crude model about what the opportunity is. But I just, sure. you as an expert. And for our other projects, yeah. you know, from the vanadium recovery, the lithium refinery, and Barambi, we, we are more explicit. So, you know, for the vanadium re recovery project, we put out a scoping study last quarter. We'll put out the pre-feasibility mid next year. We'll put out the final feasibility mid the following year. We'll make an investment decision and then you'll have a timeline. So for, for, the, for the traditional projects where there's a, where there's a, a known feedstock source secured, I'm, I'm happy lifting the skirt, so to speak. Uh, the battery recycling one, I just I do need to be a little careful. It, it's a bit like Mount Marion. We develop, you know, what is the world's second largest source of, of hard rock lithium units. We never published a, we published a resource, we never published a reserve, and we never published uh, results of any feasibility study because we were negotiating with the Chinese. Only one country buys spodumate, that's China. The last thing you can do is tell them your costs. Yeah, no, I, 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 if, if I'm trying I get to get, it. if I'm trying to go into the EV market in Europe, these guys love beating suppliers up. I no. don't want to tell them everything. I get it. I understand. I was, I was just interested in having been in you as an ex-miner. Have you transitioned through, through that way of thinking? You clearly have. Um, great catch up, Chris. Uh, great story. Um, and well done on the, on the JV. Um, I'm excited to hear what happens next. So are we. So demonstration plant starting up in the new year in the center of Germany at one of SMS's production facilities. Uh, you know, the procurement activities are highly advanced. We'll start construction uh, probably towards the end of September as the European summer starts to wind down and everyone gets it back, the, you know, back into the, the swing of things. And, uh, you know, do the demonstration plan in the March quarter. We'll then do the engineering and feasibility and commercial activities in parallel. And, 
you know, it's uh, come Christmas next year, it's uh, hopefully be good times. Beautiful. Okay, Chris, I appreciate the update. Jeremy, thanks so much, mate. Um, good to speak to both of you. As always, pick up the phone with some uh, new news if you, if you don't mind. Thank you. Excellent. You have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.